and welcome to another episode of Wise Council Weekly, powered by Athenian Consulting Group. I'm your host, Tanyan Farley, and I have my co-host with me, Alex Francis. Alex, how are you doing this morning? Good, man. Trying to stay in the shade, trying to stay in the AC. It's hot in Texas right now. Yeah, for those of you that are not located in Houston, Texas, uh, normally I would say Houston, Texas, wonderful place to live, love the weather, enjoy (laughs) being outside. For the months of July and August, I cannot say the same. It is quite literally like walking through clam chowder outside. It is hot. It is oppressive. It is sticky. (laughs) I think all of those are accurate terms for the weather in Houston right now. So we are enjoying uh, some air conditioning right now. So shout out to the electricity companies in Houston. Big month for them. Um, But we are excited to get rolling with our podcast today. Uh, Our topic of the day is longevity and consistency. Uh, really talking about, you know, what it takes to stay in a career or stay in a workplace for a long time, uh, how being consistent plays into that, and what other factors kind of make it so that you can have a long and successful career. And then we're going to bring on our guest. Uh, Alex, you want to talk a little about our guest? Oh, yeah, yeah. Our guest is a legendary consultant, a legendary philanthropist, an art advocate, a co-author of a couple of books, um, friends with some of the most famous people that you've ever heard of, and and we got him on our podcast. So I'm excited to talk to him, man. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great interview with our guest today. We'll talk a little bit more of that in a little bit. But he is legend with a capital L, uh, has done so much and continues to do so much. We're excited about that. Uh, then we'll roll into quick hits with managing partner Bobby Dixon, get his perspective on longevity and consistency and really talk about how longevity can not be just in one career path, but can be across your entire portfolio of what you've done. And then our big three, since we are from all, all sides looking like we're going to be in a quarantine type status for at least a few more months, yeah. uh, we're going to have the big three of key items for a great work from home office. I think we've officially transitioned from the I'm going to be at home for you know a couple of weeks to I need to come up with some sort of sustainable home yeah. office solution. So hopefully we can help you out there. Yeah, we need we need you guys to get more productive at home, man. You guys are we're tired of you guys sitting at your desk and sitting at your uh, sitting at your islands with the dogs in the background. We got to get you your workspace put together. Yeah, it, it's time for us to to invest in that. I think so. <laughs> so let's jump into game time, Alex. So cool, cool. the first topic I think we're kind of going to cover is. You know, we mentioned that the game time topic today is longevity and consistency. So what do you think of when you hear the word consistency in the workplace? Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, for me, I, I kind of think about uh, the employees, because um, when you're having a consistent workplace, it gives a sense of security to your employees when it comes to um, everything in, in, in that office space. Um, you have to work on is a role to, to meet the company goals. Um, and you're comfortable doing that when you know everything is going to be just fine and you don't have to worry about, you know, if I'm fired the next week, what decisions someone's going to make, anything like that. When things aren't consistent, it leads to employees being less productive and effective. Um, being consistent provides a sense of organization, builds trust with your employees, increases productivity, and also has a sense of predictability of, you know, how leaders will remove and react to certain situations. Yeah, I think, I think really for me, there's two things that come to mind when I think of consistency in the workplace. So the first is what you said, consistency of the employer. Mm-hmm. So I think about as a consultant, if I show up at a client and I know that client is going to have X amount of people in the office, is going to have X amount of layout, they're going to have these type of meetings throughout the day, 
that's how the office flow works, then I get comfortable as a consultant. I get comfortable as an employee. I get comfortable as someone in that organization that understands what's going on. Now, I think consistency of the employer extends a little bit to, hey, if we pay quarterly bonuses, if we are you know, getting feedback on a quarterly basis, continuing to deliver on that and deliver on the values of the organization, I think makes an employer, to your point, way or employee way more comfortable within an employer organization. Now, the second piece of consistency I think about is the employee consistency. So my consistency. And really what I think of there is if I am known on the team as someone that's going to deliver on time, that's not going to ask a lot of questions, that's going to make sure they get done when they get done, and it's going to deliver good work on a routine basis, I think consistency is fantastic, right? I think consistency is one of the best traits you can have as a consultant, as an employee, um, when it's good, right? I right, think right, there's right. also consistency that is bad, right? I think we have all worked with someone that consistently shows up late, consistently joins meetings late, consistently isn't prepared. So I think consistency will define you in the workplace, whether good or bad. So think about what you're doing on a routine basis and know that that's shaping not only how your organization looks at you, but how your coworkers look at you. Definitely, definitely. So do you have to stay consistent to have a long career or is it career based in a sense? So I think the question of longevity in your career, I think is, is kind of, you can look at it two ways. So we live in a time and space that is much different than the time and space that our parents and our grandparents grew up in. If I think about longevity of a career for my parents, it is, I want to go work at Exxon, BP, GE, one of, you know, a big company. And I stayed there for 40 years and retired, worked my way up the ladder. And to me, that's a long, that's a, you know, that's longevity and success in a career. In our, in our generation, it's a little different, right? The average time at a, at a career, at a company is less than three years. So if you think about what defines longevity for this generation, I think is a little different. I think you have to look at it less on a, on a program or project basis and more on a portfolio basis. So if I am consistently delivering results, whether it's in um, you know, an energy space, public space, uh, equity space, whatever it may be, as long as I'm continuing to progress in my career from jump to jump, I think when Brian Michael Cooper was on a few weeks back, he talked about learning a little something from each part you do. Right. To me, that is the new definition of longevity is how you build upon each experience, no matter what you've done or what you've worked in and continue to grow from that. What do you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I believe um, it's kind of career based. Um, like you mentioned, just in our day and age, it's a little bit different on just how many opportunities are out there to make money now in the world um, from working an office job and climbing that ladder until you're the CEO or, you know, being a YouTube star and may, having to make consistent videos from home or, you know, being an artist. And all you have to do is sell two paintings a year for you know 50K each and, and you have a good living. Um, some roles need that consistency like you mentioned earlier you you so your employers and your future employers or your future clients like us in, in, in the consulting world see the consistent good work that you put out um, what you've accomplished you know versus a role where your opportunities are solely based on you and your effort and the, and the work ethic that you put out to make that living yeah i think that's dead on right i think that kind of actually leads into the the last topic we want to discuss here before bringing reggie on which is you know, how does someone stay in a career so long when things are constantly changing? Uh, you know, it's not the, the manufacturing plant where the assembly line gets a new part. We're talking about fundamental changes in the way things deliver every couple right. of years. So how do you think someone stays in a career for so long with so many changes going on? 
for me, the main thing is just to be agile and flexible for the most part. Um, there are some careers that, of course, you know, don't have to change with the times, maybe something like a farming per se or, or your local grocery store. They don't have to change as much as the new tech company or that restaurant that's in a downtrending area of town. So for the industries that see that change over short periods of time to remain consistent and have longevity, you just have to be flexible enough with your business to change with the times, stay ahead of the curve, or, you know, potentially just move with the trend to make sure that you're not left behind and stay on the, stay right on time to where you don't see any hiccups in your operation and you continue to be consistent and have that long, long effect of your, over your career. Yeah. I think the, the coronavirus pandemic has forced a lot of people to re-examine this piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I think about staying agile and staying prepared. Yeah. Uh, and so what I really, what I mean by that is we know that changes are going to come. There's going to be new things we have to learn. There's going to be new ways of work. There's going to be new customer bases, right? That develop based on different scenarios. Mm-hmm. So I think consistently looking forward, growing your skill set, continuing to understand that what you're good at now can be transferable to other areas. I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to grasp is if I work as a corporate sponsorship rep, right? I may work with you know organizations to make sure they fulfill their marketing dollars, but I'm also doing project management. I'm doing communications. I'm doing change management. There's a lot of ways to take that. And so I think a lot of people need to do a little bit of interest, like introspective look at themselves and understand what my skill sets are and how can I, mm-hmm. you know, apply that based on how my industry may change. So that's kind of my thoughts there. I like so, that. I like Alex, that. I think it's time to bring on our guests now. I'm ready, man. I'm excited, man. I think he's ready. He's ready to get on the call. So, so are we. Okay. We now bring on our guest, a former MIT and Harvard grad, a philanthropist, a lover of the arts, a supporter of the arts. Actually, I have an entire list here of accomplishments for our guests today that um, continue to go on and on. Uh, but the last couple of things I'll say about it is that you know a, a true legend in the consulting business. It's funny, actually, when I, I looked up legend in Merriam-Webster before this and it had a couple definitions, but at the end, it actually said Reggie Van Lee. So Reggie, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you, someone who has, quite frankly, uh, not only changed the way consulting is done, but changed the way that people and businesses interact with their communities. So Reggie, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm good. Given my extreme age, I think I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> extreme age. So give us a little bit about who you are, a little background on yourself and, and what you're doing now, um, just to give the people a, a little sense of what, you know, you have all, you, all that you bring to the table. Wow. I don't know about bringing to the table, but I was born in Houston, Texas, so I'm a Texan to the core. I continue to see myself as a Texan. Went to public schools there through high school. Um, had an interest in math and science and engineering. I went to MIT, I got two degrees in civil engineering, a bachelor's and master's. Um, then back to Houston to Exxon, where I worked for two years for Exxon Production Research Company, designing offshore oil wells and rigs. And for those who know me, they can't imagine I once crawled around rigs, but I did. Um, yes. Two years at, at Exxon and then to Harvard Business School. And at Harvard, I discovered the field of management consulting. Uh, for me, as, a, as an ex-engineer, a consultant was either some old person who in retirement did consulting work or someone who between real jobs did a consultant <laughs> until they could get a real job. So it was a revelation for me to discover this whole industry called management consulting. What I liked about it was 
what I liked about engineering. I love problem solving, and that's what consultants do. Um, I like the fact that in the real world, some things are quantitative, but some things are qualitative, that you're dealing with people and you have to move them to implement this great analysis you do. So that was a challenge for me. And so I embraced manager consultant, went to Booz Allen Hamilton for what was to have been two years. And 32 years later, wow. I finally retired. Um, wow. Did not intend to stay retired forever, but wanted to find myself. After three years of retirement, I didn't find myself, but I did find that I was bored with retirement. <laughs> so I um, started at the Carlisle Group, which is a private equity firm, where I am now their chief transformation officer, helping to drive the transformation of the firm to be yet bigger and better than they are. So that's me and where I am now. Yeah, and I think along the way, there's a whole host of accolades too as well. I, I think from not only a professional perspective, but from a, a personal and community perspective. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But you mentioned your your former two-year and then 32-year run at, at Booz Allen Hamilton at, at a very well-respected firm all the way up to you know, EVP. So I guess, Reggie, based on your background you know, as an engineer and when you were you know, working for Exxon, what do you think powered you to move all the way up at Booz Allen Hamilton over those years and really at a time too, frankly, coming out of Houston, Texas, the world is, is a much different place now than it was, especially for a young black, you know, uh, entrepreneur and, and man trying to grow his career. So what do you think was the key factor that helped you moved up and what were some of the struggles you dealt with kind of going along that route? Well, I think first and foremost, I have what I call an intellectual curiosity. So the notion of tough problems was something that I really ran towards instead of running from. Um, and, and any good consultant wants to take on a problem that seems unsolvable and to find a way to solve it. For sure. I use that with my career as well, because given my demographic, I was not supposed to rise mm -hmm. to senior partner EVP at Booz Allen. So that was a problem that had not been solved before. So I took on that problem as well. I, when I entered a new environment, I was trying to figure out what is the game that's being played in this environment? Uh, who wins, who loses, why? Is this something I could replicate? Is this something I want to do or not? And so each time I took every engagement as sort of a change management challenge for me. Um, and because I love the challenge, I didn't get too frustrated when things didn't quite go right. That just gave me energy to figure out how to make it right. Uh, so some tenacity I thought was important, some intellectual curiosity. Um, and the people at Booz Allen are all very smart people. Uh, so you have to be smart. And as the world changes, you have to get smart. So getting an update on changes in industry paradigms and new competition and new customer needs and new technologies, all that stuff you have to stay on top of. And again, because I thirsted for the challenge, I found it sort of invigorating for me. Um, but first and foremost, there were those who did not want me to succeed at Booz Allen, in life, in a client engagement, whatever. And I was so intent on them not winning that I did what I need to do so that they would not win. And it Love took that. me 30 years at Booz to decide, okay, I've done it all, I've checked all the boxes, I can now leave on my terms, as opposed to somebody pushing me out anyway. So right. that's what got me through it. Man, I love that answer. And that kind of flows right into our next question and our, our topic for the day, which is longevity and consistency. And 
I just wanted to know just with that long tenure of 32 years, and I mean, you're going on with 40, probably 40 plus years just of, of being a successful man uh, in, the, in the workspace. Um, how have you remained so successful with so much changing over your time frame? I mean, I know just in my lifetime, we went from, uh, you know, uh, dial up to now we have cell phones. So for you being in that, in that environment, how, how were you able to continue to be so successful um, in your field? Well, I think it is connected to that intellectual curiosity point of mine that I look for things that are going through changes. And even though I was at Booz for 32 years, I had five or six different careers during that time. Mm -hmm. I started as an entry-level associate, generically doing whatever sort of analysis was thrown my way. I eventually migrated to the telecommunications business and eventually became the head of Booz Allen's telecommunications business in the U.S. I was also the head of Booz Allen's computer electronics business in the U.S. I was also the head of Booz Allen's media and entertainment business globally. I was also head of Booz Allen's New York office. All of those were serial roles. Every time I stepped into the role, I had no real experience in it. I mean, I'm a civil engineer. So mm -hmm. if I were electrical engineer, telecom and computers would make sense. If I were um, a marketing person, then perhaps media would make sense. Right. So I had to learn what was going on. What I found was all of those were industries going through enough change that I actually was advantaged because I was not connected to conventional wisdom. I hadn't been in the industry 20 years and say, this is how things work. I was brand new, so I had to look around and see how are things working now, how are things changing, and I was able to advantage myself over people who had been in those industries all that time. After those stints, including running Booz Allen's New York office, all of that was on the commercial side of the business. Then I switched over to the government side of Booz, moved from New York to DC, ran the federal health business when the Affordable Care Act stuff was happening, mm -hmm. and eventually ran Booz Allen's reentry into the commercial business, but from the federal side. So for me, because I flowed with the change, because I capitalized and exploited paradigm shifts in industries, I was able to keep myself fresh and new and be in new spaces. It sounds like, Reggie, if I to kind of paraphrase what you just said, it sounds like because your background was in what it was in and because you were so inquisitive, you continuously challenged the status quo. And there were a lot of people that were, sounds like complacent and comfortable, which you know we all know happens in a lot of major corporations. Mm -hmm. And you kind of came in because you had to learn those and shook that up. Would you agree with that? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And those clients of mine who uh, listened to me and thought in different ways and went through paradigm shifts, are still doing well, are successful people. And some of those who were stuck in conventional wisdom didn't do so well. Yeah, and, and we see that you know, even today in, in what we're working as well. But you did mention a whole number of, of areas that you ran as well as things that you learned along the way. So one of the things you didn't mention was you, know, you had a very successful dance career as well. You were also able to be very involved in the community, get appointed by President Barack Obama to uh, multiple community and art endeavors. So how are you able to balance not only continuously growing and pushing the status quo in your career, but in your personal life and in your community as well? Well, I think the arts and my connection to my community saved my life. Mm -hmm. I think that if I had focused purely on engineering or purely on business and consulting, and I've seen people who did that, find themselves at a certain point in their life, like now at my age, they find themselves pretty empty because that which made them so successful is now gone. And all the other things that they left behind, the family they paid no attention to, the kids that they didn't get much of their time, the spouses that didn't get much of their time. Now, when they return to them, the spouses and the kids say, we created a whole life without you. So 
you know, we're sorry that you want all this time that we don't have for you, but it just doesn't work. So for me, by balancing my life out, if at any point I had a rough spot at Booz Allen, I didn't feel as though my entire life depended upon my career at Booz Allen. There were other things that were valued to me in my life as well. And I love the arts and it, it releases some of the emotions. Some people jog and exercise. I go to the theater, you know, yes. I paint, I do those things that make me feel human again. So for me, um, and I stumbled upon it, but I discovered that that's what really saved my life. People talk about work-life balance. I took a talk about work-life integration. Mm. I think you have to integrate those things to have a full life. I that's love that. I'm writing that one down. Work-life yeah. integration. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like work-life integration. That's the one, man. That's because the one. It, otherwise, if it's a trade-off, there's some resentment felt on one side because of the other side. So if I take all this time to Booz Allen and I miss my best friend's wedding and I miss my niece's christening and all this sort of stuff, and then Booz Allen fires me, then I'm like, I put all of this into this firm and I made all these sacrifices and what did I get? But if right. you can find a way to integrate the two, at no time do you have that resentment. And that lack of resentment allowed me to be full in in the work I did, as opposed to this hesitancy because you don't want to get used too much and you don't want to do, be too imbalanced. Man, sure, one amazing. foot in, one foot out. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Oh, man, I just want to uh, kind of bring up kind of the amount of amazing people that you have met worked with, uh, mentored, you know, um, from politicians to inspiring artists, you know, who do you think has been most influential in your life and why? Well, I'm, this is going to sound trite, uh, and, and this is what all the athletes say and the, the movie stars say, but really my parents, first and foremost, though they were my first mentors. And both my parents are deceased, they've been deceased 20 years, but I still remember things they taught me and things they said to me and the support I got from them and the wisdom they imparted to me based on what they knew. They know about business and Wall Street and consulting and that sort of stuff, but mm -hmm. they knew about life. And so those are my first mentors. But I can say that I've had some amazing mentors since then. I count Bill Clinton as a mentor, as a friend and mentor. Um, and he was kind enough to allow me to be introduced to Nelson Mandela. I got to have tea with Nelson Mandela when I was visiting South Africa many years ago. Oh, that's um, fantastic. And that time with him was just, it was so amazing when I was there to learn about him and things he did. He was mm -hmm. so interested in me and my life and the, the tra traveling I did and that sort of thing. So that sort of intellect and humility at the same time, that sense of sacrifice and courage and all those things that you know you would see clearly in, in a Mandela as well as even in a Bill Clinton. I, I tried to pick up that those traits as much as possible. That's, that's incredible. I think those are some great mentors to have. I know, you know when we've talked about this on our show before with our parents, we align with you on that, that I think that's where we go. And then there's one or two other people. And I think if the one or two you mentioned are, are just the tip of the iceberg, those are some pretty good yeah. ones to get. Those yeah. are some pretty good ones to get. If I can share that, so that a couple of things my parents said to me that was so important to me, so meaningful to me. I'll never forget when I was a partner at Booz Allen and they were there's only one other black partner at the time. I'm in these meetings with these other partners deciding people's lives and everything. And, and I felt like I was always in a battle to try to represent the underdog, to represent people who perhaps weren't represented in the women, minorities, et cetera. And I would talk to my parents every day on the phone and I would complain about, you know, so lonely in these rooms at times. And my father said to me, it may be lonely at the top, but it's crowded at the bottom. Mm. And I was like, wow. And he said, so instead of cursing the darkness, you are, 
you are blessed to be in that room. And what you need to do is just bring other people into the room. This is my father saying this to me. So that's wow. the kind of wisdom wow. that I got from my parents who, of course, couldn't tell you what I really did every day. Right. But I understood what it was like to struggle in the world and to aspire. Right. Uh, I think that's, I mean, that's a fantastic line and, and, and information to get from your parents for sure to think about, you know, it, we were talking about this before the call and, uh, you know, Alex of course knows this and, you know, Reggie for you, like my parents are both artists. My father was a sports and entertainment artist. The Stevie wonder behind me is actually one of my dad's paintings. Oh, and so wow. I, I grew up in a very creative artistic household. My skill set when it came to it was not the same as far as drawing <laughs> or painting. I think, I am a little bit more like some of the things that you mentioned earlier, which is I apply a lot of the creativity and out of the box thinking to what we do in solving complex problems. And you think about how that applies. So with your background in art and your background in that kind of creativity, how do you think, I know you talked about it helps relieve stress and it helps kind of decompress, but do you think that your love of the arts and your brain, how things creatively definitely helped you in the, in the business space as well? It did, especially in consulting, because as I said before, clients are people. And you can put the analysis to four decimal points and it can be exactly right. But if you don't consider a person needs to implement that and therefore move towards a solution that may be the 80% right solution, but 100% implementable, you won't get there. So that touch of humanity comes through being an artist and listening to people and reading body language and, and sensing people and being interested in their full agenda, not just a business agenda, can get you to the point that they trust you you're seen as a trusted advisor for them. And even though you, no amount of analysis could ever convince them to do this, the analysis took them to a certain point and their trust and you took them the rest of the way. So that notion of connecting to humanity, however, in whatever form, dancing, singing, uh, painting, drawing, whatever, athletics, whatever, whatever gives you that sense of humanity. If you put that in the work you do with clients, I found it can create a very successful consulting career. And that's perfect. I mean, it just goes, flows right back into your work-life integration. And I actually just finished reading that book called Trusted Advisor like a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's perfect. But I kind of want to stick on this art topic real quick because Tanya and I, you know, both collect art. I'm more into uh, interior toys and street fashion kind of art myself. Tanya is more into portraits and, 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 and photography. Um, but we, you know, started our collections a little younger and earlier than lives that most people have. And we're curious to hear, you know, what drew you to start this collection that you have? Um, and what are some of those um, things that you look for when you're collecting art? Well, as you know, I, I started ballet training when I was four years old and therefore had an interest in dance. But also about the same time I painted, I drew and painted quite a bit. And I wrote as well. Even as a kid, I would write these short stories that, you know, what, what, seven-year-old writes a oh, pretty wow. story. I just did crazy. <laughs> um, and so I always enjoyed that release. It came from painting and drawing and dancing and writing and that sort of thing. And um, I kept it up through high school. And by the time I went to college and, and I danced, I studied dance in college and then you know, I danced at Ailey for a year after I graduated from MIT. And then when I went to Exxon, I decided I had to be this serious engineer. And so I didn't tell people about my dance interests or anything like that. And that lasted a couple of years. Then I could feel something missing in my life. And it wasn't sufficient for me just to go to dance performances every once in a while. I needed to do something else. So I started volunteering with those organizations. 
And that turned into from volunteer to sitting on the board to eventually chair of the board. Um, and the, the way that that also came back to help me in my career at Booz Allen was, I was aspiring to be a leader at Booz Allen. A junior person is usually not given a lot of leadership opportunities. That same junior person volunteering in a not-for-profit can become the vice chair, the head of a committee. And so I developed and honed some of my leadership skills in a bigger way with these not-for-profits, which wow. prepared me to take on leadership roles at Booz Allen. So in so many ways, the, the training that I did and the, the interest I had in the arts came back into my life in an integrated way uh, really profoundly. Wow. wow. I think that's, I know for me, I think the integration is really fascinating. And I think I have a question that kind of goes off of that, which is obviously you've mentioned a lot about not only your business career and success, but what you've done for not, and you know, for nonprofits, for community centers, for the arts. I guess if you could talk a little about your stance and, and I'll kind of preface this. So a few weeks back, we talked about sustainability and how a business can become sustainable. Um, we quoted a couple of Harvard business studies and we've been listening to uh, some of the Clay Christensen work on, on kind of just sustaining it. One of my professors. Yeah. And, and that's fascinating. <laughs> I, I'm jealous that I did not get to spend time with that man because he is fascinating, but he talks a lot about not only, you know, we can talk about you know, the importance of a business and how they sustain, but how they interact with their community. And for so long, you know, there was this idea that if a business was profitable, that's all they needed to do. And I think in today's day and age, especially, right, if you look at social justice, if you look at the coronavirus pandemic, if you look at a lot of the pressing issues in our world, I think it's becoming more and more clear that a, for a business to be successful and have sustainability, they need to do more than just be profitable. So can you comment a little bit on your thoughts on that, just on working in, in so many sectors for so long and also being so involved in the community? Yeah. I mean, in the old days when the civil society, and that's what I'll call sort of the people, you know, not-for-profits and communities and community organizations, didn't have as much power as they have now. Smart companies realize that if you pull in the power of that community, that drives sustainable, sustainability. They are your customers. They are the people that help you build your brand. They're the ones that tell you we need to shift and change your brand. I mean, that, it's an amazing bi-directional resource for a smart company to advantage themselves relative to other companies who are doing great products and services but aren't really connected to the community. Over time, that civil society has created a lot of power. The media allows mm -hmm. an individual person with a little camera phone to create something that becomes seen by everybody, right? And people with a few protest signs can turn into thousands of people with protest signs against something. So, and, and people who uh, provide insight on how you can change things or how you should look out for something or how you could be doing something with the best of intentions and not realizing that culturally this means this to this group and this means that to that group. So now there's much more with technology hmm. and with the power that the civil society feels it has and with the explosion of not-for-profits because you know 30 years ago we had a bunch of not-for-profits but now we have trillions of them right. The world has changed. And so companies who used to do that as a nicety, as an extra, realize that it is a survival tactic for them. That at your own demise, do you not pay attention to embrace, engage with the communities you serve and the communities in which you live. And then from an employee retention standpoint as well, and more and more people coming along want to feel like they're part of a community and that the company they're working for, they're proud of because it is engaged in the community. 
And if you don't provide those sorts of opportunities, you can't get good staff, you can't get good talent. So for a lot of reasons, it does make a huge difference, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think that ties back into our firm as a whole. Um, We like giving back to the community and we are a small minority business as well that loves giving opportunities to other people um, for for their career growth as well. And just since we have you on the phone that have led so many people in so many ways, do you have any advice for a small consulting firm that's starting up, <laughs> that's starting up and doing a few big opportunities, a few uh, opportunities with some government entities and starting to go on their way to being one of the biggest firms in the U.S.? Do you have any advice for us? Well, I, I can pick it up in a couple of different directions. What first is most important in any enterprise, it's true of individuals, but it's especially true of organizations, is your core values. And once again, that may sound ethereal and mm-hmm. you know, you know, weird to some people, but the core values are what really can allow an organization to scale in the right sort of way. Because when you're five or six or 10 people, you can be very close and you are the company. When you become 100 people, how do you ensure that everyone behaves in the way that you would behave? And it's wow. only by the core values you instill in them. And that gives them some longitude and latitude to do things differently, but they will adhere to those core values. And so I think the core value exercise that companies go through and how they really make them real and feel real to the employees is really important. Personally, and I think this applies to companies as well, I've discovered over the years that I live by what I call four C's, Reggie's four C's. Everybody has their P's and G's and E's and that kind of stuff. Everybody listening, get your pens ready. All right, write this down. (laughs) My four C's. The first C is courage, because the world will constantly tell you what you cannot do. People are there to convince you what you cannot do. Mm. And you have to have the courage sometimes to step out and do things different. You need to be a civil engineer who decides he's going to go into telecommunications, who then decides he's going to go into computer electronics, who then decides he's going to go into media entertainment, right? And I'm certain that my career was as fulfilling as it was because I didn't stay in the same thing all the time. I didn't take the safe route. I had to exercise some courage. Now, you don't do stupid things. You don't do crazy things. But calculated risk you have to take. And there are very few successful companies and successful leaders in those companies that will tell you they didn't take some risk. So courage is important. Mm -hmm. The next C is confidence. And what I found is if you have enough confidence, you don't have to be as courageous. If you know you can do something, that's not being courageous, right? right. So you want to save the cur- courageous, the courage for those things that extend you, but to build your confidence so the things that you do every day, you know how to do. And I think that um, what I have done is I've surrounded myself with people that help me with my confidence, which is not to say I don't surround myself with people who are just yes people mm-hmm. tell me what I want to hear, but they're not haters. They're people that are concerned about me. Right. What I do is I use the haters to encourage me in the other direction. Because you're hating on me so much, I'm going to do it because you don't want me to do it. So whether you're on my side or you're against me, I put you in the right sort of box and I use you to help build my confidence. The third C is competence. With all the courage and all the confidence in the world is not substantive unless you have the competence. So you need to know your craft. If the industry is changing, figure out how it's changing. If you need to uh, burn the midnight oil to understand something and really dig into it and take seminars or whatever, do it. But this competence is really very important. Uh, and the last C, which it took me a while to realize I always did, but it wasn't in the front of my mind, is indeed community. 
that you can't forget the community from which you come and the community in which you live and the community that really supports you in some form or fashion. And to have that network or safety net or whatever, that posse, whatever you want to call it, I think is really important to people because especially now at my age, when I'm 62 years old, when I find colleagues of mine who have retired or about to retire, and as I said earlier, all their life was dedicated to their career, then when they now want to come and play with friends, the friends aren't there. The friends have either disappeared or found somebody else to hang with because you didn't have time for them before. And it's a really empty feeling to have all these degrees and all this money and all this property and all these toys and no one to play with. So yeah. I found the courage, confidence, competence, and community are things that people need and things that companies need. I think that's fantastic. And I think you alluded to kind of our firm stance on the Friedman doctrine, which is really the importance of, you know, investing in the community. And I think that this is a perfect, and I mean, this in the coronavirus pandemic is a perfect case study for why that is the case. And the fact that people that have invested in their community, that community stepped up to support them during this. When we talked about, um, resiliency a few weeks back, Alex, we talked about the uh, franchise community of gyms and exercise studios and how those are locally owned. And because of that, people kept their membership going even when they couldn't go because they, they were committed to supporting it. So I think you hit the nail on the head with that, Reggie, completely. So I want to switch gears a little bit and go um, a little bit more into uh, your personal life about traveling and art, because I think there's a lot there. I think we've covered, I mean, we could go for days and days and days about your business adventures and, and how successful it's been. But since we are hopefully, and I'm saying hopefully, I, I wish I could knock on wood somewhere, hopefully <laughs> getting to a, yes, getting to a place in the world later this year where folks can begin to travel again, to enjoy beautiful cultures, to enjoy beautiful food. Um, I wonder if you can share some of your favorite places that you visited that maybe people wouldn't think of as the first place to go after a quarantine or the first place to go on vacation that people should experience and maybe why. Wow. I know it's a tough question. I know it's a tough question. It might be tough. I, cause I know Reggie a little bit and he literally travels for his birthday and has yeah. a party in a different location every year <laughs> around the globe, that. man. Since, since 1986, each year I have a birthday party, not in the U.S., where friends come and we hang out for a week or two. Um, and literally, we've been all around the world, as you can imagine. Uh, wow. For my 60th two years ago, the theme was six decades, six continents. So I did a party on each of six continents, one week each in succession, so across six weeks. I was retired at the time, so right, right, right. <laughs> different friends came at different points in time. Um, so as Alex said, I've been to so many places. It's interesting, uh, for some odd reason, I really loved Capri, which is okay. in Italy off the coast uh, of Greece, uh, off the coast, Italy, I'm sorry, off the coast of um, uh, Naples. Yep. Um, it was something magical about the island we were there, the people I was with, the food, the weather, and that sort of stuff. Um, we took a trip to Bhutan, which is sort of the kingdom of happiness. Like they have a gross national happiness index for them. And I guess the altitude also already puts you in a sort of <laughs> Yep, a euphoria, um, right? Yeah. Buddhist and everything, so that was amazing. Um, uh, and in one of the trips, we went to Rwanda, uh, and uh, walked with the gorillas. Um, wow. And I mean, literally walked with the gorillas. Gorillas were like two feet away from us. That's amazing. Uh, just to see nature like that and right. 
It was just sort of amazing. So there's so many amazing places I've been, but they haven't, I've been to Paris and London and all those places, right? Mm -hmm. But it seems the more exotic places where you really um, don't have just the five-star experience. You have to touch the people there. And that allows you to understand uh, humanity and understand the world and to be more of a global citizen. That's what I enjoy most out of my trips. And that's what I would encourage people to do, to find those places that aren't necessarily off the beaten path, but not the pure tourist traps, to really find a place where you can feel like you have been immersed in the culture. Nice. Yeah. No, I agree. That's that's one of my favorite ways to travel as well. I know Alex and I have been discussing trips we're looking to take on the on the flip side. As soon of, as I can get back <laughs> on the flip side of, of when this happens. So I think that's uh, fascinating. And I know for me, that's that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. And honestly, the trip to Rwanda sounds incredible. That sounds yeah. truly life changing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Reggie, um, I know that you have to go, and I want to make sure that we provide. Um, short but good content for our listeners so that they can you know continue doing what they're doing but we can't thank you enough for coming on today uh we greatly appreciate the knowledge you shared with us both in the business professional and personal sense um and we were looking forward to having you on again uh, i think that there's so much we can learn from you and i think six months from now uh it sounds like you'll have a whole new perspective on a bunch of different <laughs> things we'd love to talk to you about so we really appreciate it happy to happy to hope i was helpful oh absolutely thank, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much thanks all right we now move on to quick hits with managing partner bobby dixon bobby how you doing today great guys how are you today we are good man we just wrapped a great interview with reggie van lee um, and uh, looking forward to getting this out to the people he talked a lot about um you know longevity and consistency and how that you know really was a legacy in his career, but also, you know, a hallmark for people that he sees as successful in the world. So what do you believe that some of the major factors are of having a long career in your field? Uh, okay. Um, well, you know, I'm going to always start with vision. You guys have heard me say that, you know, through and through. So not only just to be consistent, I, I believe in it, uh, which is, you know, what is your vision? You know, and uh, you're talking about long-term and sometimes you might have to have a short-term vision and a long-term vision. So they may be the same. There may be some evolution of it, but you know, where are you going? Right. Uh, and then from there, you know, what are the pillars that you're going to stand up around that vision, your value statement, you hear people talk about mission statements and those sorts of things. I like values, but mm -hmm. what are the, the key ethos, right? You know, that no matter come what may, uh, these are the things that we will do. These are the things that we won't do, right. A guiding compass. And then, you know, passion. Um, there has to be some level of enthusiasm and passion. You, know, you hear the cliche terms, you know, do what you love and you won't work a day in your life. Uh, I believe that, right? You know, so some, some passion either around the cause, around the work, uh, around the people you work with, around the community that you serve, the clients, whatever it is, but there's got to be something passionate, you know, waking you up and, and getting you going every day, right? Uh, I mean, the last thing I would just say is, is, is the people, uh, you know, the, the set of relationships uh, around you that are enable you to, to get things done. Right. You know, and I think the people will come and go, you know, some for uh, the lifetime you know, of your venture and or career, you know, some for different seasons and then mm -hmm. some just sort of assign, you know, for certain tasks and contexts, but I believe, you know, those three things for me, right? Vision, passion, and a set of relationships, you know, are key 
to to longevity, you know, uh, in a desired field or, or profession. Gotcha, gotcha. So, in that field or profession or field or career that we're talking about, um, is longevity in the business world as a whole more important than having that longevity in just a specific field? Yeah, I mean, we really talked about this earlier, Bobby, as, uh, you know, project versus portfolio, right? So obviously, you can have a successful career that encompasses a number of different industries, a number of different jobs versus, you know, kind of, I stay in the same vertical the whole time. I'm going to answer that two ways and hopefully at least one of them, you know, uh, get you guys sort of the uh, the answer you're looking for. Uh, Yeah. I I think a defining engagement, right. You know, some, some defining initiative, uh, whether that's within a, you know, a portfolio or, or uh, across the span, you know, of of various things you do in your career, uh, I think is important, right. You know, it's, it's, what are you known for? Mm-hmm. And who are you known by? Right. Yeah. I think those are two questions you have to be able to answer, particularly if you're talking about long term. Right. Um, and I think uh, if you can hang a anchor, you know, on some defining engagement in our field, it's management consultant. Right. You know, so what is the defining engagement you know, that you use as a platform? Right. Or some some breakthrough scenario, you know, that bridges you across into different industries, right? You know, different verticals, what have you. Uh, and then, you know, you, you develop uh, the answer to the other question, which is if that's what you're known for, who you want to be known by, right? You know, is it the CIOs? Is it the CFOs? Is it CEOs? Is it business unit presidents? Anyone responsible for P&L? You know, whatever the case may be, right? But if you think about longevity and how you parlay, whether it's project, portfolio, whatever it is, one to the next, to the next, to the next, right? I think those things are, are important. The other answer, and I don't know if this is a question that you asked, but it just made me think about it. Uh, you know, you talk about longevity. That means uh, it starts and it ends, right? You know, so there's a start date, there's an end date. You know, we've kind of heard this said, um, typically not in professional context, but, uh, you know, in between your start date and an end date, there's that yeah. dash, right? Uh, and, you know, you know, so for me, it is, it is, not always the length of the term, right? You know, but the kind of the quality and impact of the dash, right? You know, and so that ties into a little bit, you know, uh, sure. around defining engagements, but even broader sense, right? You know, we've talked uh, at length on these podcasts about impact on the community, right? And, and, and families and, and all the broader things that, that we're trying to build, right? And so it's mm-hmm. like, man, how impactful right, you know, was the dash, right, or, or, or was what you did uh, in between the time you started and the time you ended, and whether that be five years, 10 years, 25, 35, right, I, I just think, you know, we want to measure time, but impact as well. I think that's actually, uh, A, a fantastic point, but B, a great segue into our last question here, which is something that Reggie uh, spoke on earlier, which is the importance of giving back, finding passions outside of work, right? And we've talked about that before on this podcast when it comes to a business, right? How does a business stay successful by investing in their community, by giving back? Now, I want to shift, you know, the question a little bit, which is how, like, to have a long, successful career, obviously, you just mentioned it as a dash, right? What, what makes up that dash? I think a lot of that is 
having something that fulfills you outside of work. So Reggie talked about that his passion for the arts and the community really fulfilled him. So how important do you think that is for someone that is looking to have a long successful career to have something outside of work that they are also passionate about that kind of helps balance them out? I think it's extremely important, Tanya. And as you mentioned, we've talked about it, you know, on, on, on numerous podcasts, you know, you know, for me, number one, it's personal and, and balance, right? You know, particularly those of us who are either you know, entrepreneurs, uh, business owners, or, or, or laboring some high level, uh, you know, in, in, in a company. I mean, that can be exhausting uh, and totally consuming, right. right? You know, so just think about it from a balanced perspective, right? If there's some passion, some civic responsibility, some uh, communal interest, uh, it just creates a balance, right? You know, it, it, it creates a balance, whether it's arts, uh, for me, I, I love to work with youth. Uh, in, in particular, I love to work with uh, youth who may otherwise be at risk, right? If not for the opportunity, you know, to engage around kind of the set of activities that we're doing. Uh, summer track uh, is something I'm big in. Um, just sort of um, just, just youth activities in, in, in general, right? That, that's something for me, you know, I look forward to. Um, and I block off time, talent, and treasure to dedicate to that. And it keeps me balanced, right? Uh, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, running the firm and, and those sorts of things. But then the other thing is just, um, I have long believed it, it is a obligation, right? It, you know, uh, and, and a sense of commitment and duty around uh, a business, right? You know, to not only generate value to its shareholders, you've heard me, you know, say this, right? But to the community within which it operates. And you can kind of choose whatever form, whatever cause, whatever initiatives, uh, whether it's time, treasure, talent, or all three. Um, but I do believe that's, that's, that's vital, you know, to, to, uh, to a mission. Uh, I think it gives back. Right. Yep. As you give, I think it gives back, you know, tenfold uh, and um, getting back to the point of longevity. Right. Yep. You, you know, uh, it's whether you want to call it recycled energy, whatever you want to call it. Right. I, I think it gives back, man, and, and, and helps create that, that, that longevity and balance. Sure. It's, it's like a battery for your soul. Yeah, well, we completely agree. And that's kind of what Reggie hit on as well. So, well, Bobby, we appreciate it. I think these were great responses to these questions. I think we drove a lot of value to folks today. And we're looking forward to having you on again next week and, and talking through some more stuff that will hopefully help people not only professionally, but personally. Great, guys. Always a good time. All right. Now let's head into the cool down. So Tanyan, you know, what are you reading and listening to right now? So we have had a lot going on the last couple of weeks, but I have found some time to listen to a new podcast that I just started listening to, which is called The Corp. Um, it's actually with Alex Rodriguez, so former pro baseball player, entrepreneur, all kinds of things. And then uh, Erica Nardini, who's the CEO of Barstool Sports. So they teamed up together to do this podcast. And this week they had on Dylan Lauren, who is the CEO and founder of uh, Dylan's Candies. So I think you've probably well, seen Candy Bar, yeah. Dylan's Candy Bar, the one you've seen in the airports and all over the place. Uh, so she is actually the daughter of Ralph Lauren as well. What? So, uh, <laughs> so she, it was really interesting listening to her not only talk about growing up in a household with someone who whose brain works like that and has built yeah. such an empire, but also to hear her talk about how she built 
uh, Dylan's candy bar and why she built it the way she did. So I think that one was fascinating and really helped me think about how we bring products to market and bring services to market. That's pretty cool. I mean, especially because, you know, I love bringing services to market, but I definitely love candy. <laughs> no doubt. It's a win-win. So uh, this week I started reading another uh, Malcolm X autobiography. Um, I read the one by Alex Haley probably about five, six years ago. And I got a recommendation from a buddy that said um, I should read the one by Manning Marble, Marable. Marable. Yeah, Manning Marable as well. So I've had it for about three years now and I finally started picking it up. And so far, it's, it's a different tone, but they're painting a, painting a good picture of them so far. So I like what I'm reading so far. That's awesome. I'll have to read that one when you're done. I think that's yeah, just yeah. fascinating. I got, the, sure. I got you. I got you. Okay, we'll make sure we socially distance hand it off too. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So we are now going to move into our big three. So our big three this week, as we mentioned earlier, is key items for a great work from home office. Um, so Alex, do you want to go first this week? Yeah, I have, I have one honorable mention because I don't have this, but I saw it on a YouTube video earlier and I, now I really want it. It was a mouse pad with a wireless charger. So like one of the bigger mouse pads, oh, but you wow. can put your phone on the side of it and wireless charge at the same time. Yeah, I need that. That sounds great. Does it char- It'd be great if it also charged your wireless mouse. That'd be a win-win. Ah, look at that. Look at that. All right. So my first one, key item for great work from home office standard that you have to have is a second monitor. It helps so much with productivity. You get so much more done. You're not squeezing everything on a little bitty laptop screen. Oh, I'm telling you, man, get, do yourself a favor and get that second monitor. Your chiropractor will thank you too, man. (laughs) Trust me. Uh, My number one thing, and I think this is the gold standard for what you have to have in a work from home office. And that's a window. I know that sounds <laughs> like very elementary, but I've seen, I've been on Zoom calls, been on with people that are in their basement or they're in maybe like a, a study type area that doesn't have a window. Gotta have it. I think being able to get vitamin D from the sun and, and get that in is, is a major key. Okay. Okay. I like that one. My second one is to have a, so if you, I mean, so if you have a desk set up for your at home office, I would invest in some cable and cord management system. So uh, it's no excessive stuff in the way. Your desk is, you know, a lot less messy from all the other things that you just brought from home from the office that you have to stack on your desk anyway. So a cord management system, definitely key for your work at home office. I had that on the list as well. Um, I can candidly say I originally did not have a cord management (laughs) system at the beginning of uh, kind of the quarantine and for the safety of everyone in my home and for the cleanliness of our home and probably the sanity Sanity. of my wife as well. (laughs) um, We made sure we took care of that. Uh, My second one is also kind of ties in with your second monitor as far as just your overall health. And that is a comfortable slash ergonomic chair. I think there are so many people that are sitting in kitchen chairs, yard chairs, couches, whatever you can imagine that they have in their house. I know these chairs are not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, Mm -hmm. but, you know, look for one that's an investment that you're going to use for a long period of time. I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be cheaper than the back surgery you're going to have if you use the wrong one for for too long a period of time. So that was my number two. All right. Tanyan is preaching to the choir right here. Preaching. uh, My third one is to have a comfy chair. There you go. And I just moved, so I don't have one yet. And Mm -hmm. I am literally sitting on a... What is this? This is a car table right now with the car table chair that comes in a little box with the four set. Yeah, that's what I'm sitting on right now. So definitely get yourself a comfy chair. You'll, be, you'll thank yourself later. 
for sure. Alex is going to have to roll out of his chair at the end of this. So <laughs> um, my last one um, is, and then I have a few uh, honorable mentions I'll throw in All as right. well, is my last one is that you need to have a room with sufficient power outlets. Now that okay. doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you need to have one outlet with two plugs and two extension cords with the multi sets in there. Don't do that. We, we care about you. We don't want your house to burn down. Like right. make sure you have multiple outlets, make sure you're spreading out, get a surge protector. It's worth it, right? Your office space has one. You might not know that, but it does. So <laughs> I, I would invest in one. They're pretty cheap. You can get them at target. We can even link up a surge protector in the bio of the podcast so that you can click on it after this. <laughs> uh, my two honorable mentions, and this is more like uh, qualities of the space, not necessarily things that are there, but I think number one is it needs to be far enough from your kitchen that you can not just be snacking all day, but yet close enough to be able to go need yeah, it. Get you, some water. You know, got to do that. You know. And then the last one, and this one's tough, right? I understand not everybody has a space for this, but finding somewhere that's a little quiet compared to the rest of your house is really big time, especially if you've got kids and dogs running around. I know that's tough, but it helps you think and have phone calls and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I close the door just to keep the dog out when we're recording a podcast. But most of the time she's running in here the whole time. Nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand. I understand. So I think those are good. I, I know for me, I'm definitely, there's a couple of things from your list that I'm going to reexamine if I should pick up for my house as well. And then I've been, I've been looking at a new ergonomic chair. So we're on the same page there. Yeah. <laughs> so we we'll don't the, have we'll get, the, we'll get the firm to try to throw some chairs <laughs> yeah well that'll be that'll be a, a, an investment in the house for sure yeah. <laughs> um our q a section this week we're going to push to next week we had the full length q a round table last week so if you haven't checked out that episode uh go ahead and give it a listen we're getting great feedback on it so we'll do another one of those probably in uh, a few months or so. And we might yeah. even try it with some guests as well, bring back some of our guests that you guys have really enjoyed. So we're going to save some of the Q and a you've sent in um, for, you know, the next couple of weeks and the next round table. So guys, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. I think the insight from Reggie was phenomenal. I mean, I greatly enjoyed listening to him. I think, you know, as someone that aspires to, continue to help people not only in the business sense but in the community sense i think reggie is an absolute role model for that so learning from him today was great um, and i really look forward to uh, hearing what you guys think about it so make sure you reach out to us on linkedin on instagram or at info at and we'll make sure we uh we hit you back so as always take time to breathe and focus on your current situation adversity breeds ingenuity and alex and wise counsel leads to sustainable results baby 